We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, holy in his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks. God. You can all take your seats. Walk to 
Pray with oh, yeah, us. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, in one sense, uh, we're all like Mary. We know, but we don't know. We see Jesus, and yet we still miss him. We make too little of his power, too little of his wisdom, too little of his worthiness, too little of his love. And so I ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. I pray that in these next few moments, you would help me to get out of the way so that we might see more of your son and so that our lives might be changed. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Good evening and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My name is Brent. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us tonight. Um, I believe that every person in this room is here because God brought you here. Uh, You may attend this church most Sundays, or you may attend another church most Sundays, or this might be your first time in a church in years or maybe even decades. This may be the very first time you have ever walked through the doors of a Christian church, but I believe that God wants to speak to every single person in this room tonight, Uh, not through my words, but through his word, actually, 
And so what I want to do just for a few minutes here is look at a passage with you in the Bible to help us understand a little bit more of what Christmas is really about. Now, if you've been with us at, at all in the month of December, you know we've been in this sermon series called Repeat the Sounding Joy. And we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. Uh, there are four gospel accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Luke's gospel, what is so interesting about the Christmas story is that it reads almost like a musical. People hear the good news of Jesus and they sing. And we've been singing a lot of uh, Christmas songs tonight. We've been singing them every Sunday in the month of December. Tonight, we're actually going to look at the very first Christmas song ever sung. The very first Christmas song. The very first Christmas carol. What song is that? Mary's song. It's the song that you heard read just a minute ago from Luke chapter 1, where the angel comes to Mary and he tells her that she is pregnant and with child, that she is going to give birth to a son, that they will call him Jesus and that he is the son of God and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And that was 2,000 years ago and we are still here talking about it. Which means if you are here tonight and you're a skeptic, this at least has to get your attention a little bit. Why has this had such staying power? What is Mary singing about? You know, Mary's song is not your typical Christmas song. Now, I love Christmas music. And this week I looked up uh, the top Christmas songs in Billboard history. Let me give you just some of the top ten. All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey. That's a jam. That's a jam. We call that a jam. Number two, uh, The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. That's a good song. Uh, Last Christmas by Wham. That's a... That is in the top 10 of all-time Christmas songs. Now, all of these songs, they are very sentimental. And Mary's song is anything but sentimental. Mary's song is unlike any other Christmas song. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, he was a Christian pastor in, in Germany, he was also an activist who, uh, who fought against Hitler and the Nazi regime. And he once preached a sermon on Mary's song. This, this song from Luke 1. And this is what he said. He said, this song of Mary's is the oldest Christian hymn. It is the most passionate, most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary hymn ever, ever sung. It is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we find so often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world of God's power and of the powerlessness of men. Mary's song is unlike any other Christmas song, and it's been called the Magnificat. And the reason it's called the Magnificat is because in the opening line of this song, she says, my soul glorifies, which you can translate that word magnifies. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's song is an outburst of praise. It is an amen. It is an outburst of joy. It is an outburst of celebration. And if we understand her song and what she is saying Christmas is all about, we will walk out those doors tonight in the exact same place that she is. There is so much good news in this song. No matter who you are, 
no matter what you have done, no matter what your story is, no matter whether you find yourself in a season of joy or a season of sorrow, there is good news for you and me in this song. There is hope for us in this song. If you were to give this song a title other than the Magnificat, here's what I would call it. I would call it Hope for Broken People in a Broken World. And that is Christmas in a nutshell. Christmas in a nutshell is this. It means hope for broken people who are living in a broken world. And I want to just look at these two things with you for the rest of our time together. That it's hope for a broken world and it's hope for broken people. So first, Christmas means hope for a broken world. Now one of the things I've been thinking about this week as I've been studying this passage is how did Mary sing this song? I mean, if you heard her sing it, what, what did it sound like when Mary sang this song? If you think about most Christmas songs, they're pretty happy. They're pretty upbeat. I don't think Mary's song sounded like that. Uh, some of you might have been here a couple weeks back. We hosted a concert with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. Uh, what a night. What a night. And I will tell you, for me personally, and I think for many who were here that night, the most moving uh, thing that night was when a black woman sang a solo of a black Negro spiritual entitled, Lord, How Come Me Here? Lord, How Come Me Here? And the song goes like this, Lord, How Come Me Here? I wish I was never born. There ain't no freedom here, Lord. They treat me so mean here, Lord. They stole my chillin' away, Lord. Lord, how come me here? I wish I was never born. You could have heard a pin drop in this room when she sang that song. It wasn't just what she was singing, but it was how she was singing it. She was singing it like a black slave whose children were taken away from her. She was singing it with lament and anguish and pain. And I think this is how Mary sang her song. And the reason I say that is because of what was going on around her when she sang it. You know, Mary was surrounded by a broken world. She was Jewish. Her people were living under the oppression of the Romans. They've been living under the oppression of others for hundreds of years. Darkness all around her. Brutality all around her. Violence all around her. Injustice all around her. And then think about her own station in life. Mary was a poor, unwed, pregnant teenage girl. She was on the margins of society. She had no wealth, no money, no status, no possessions. She was a no body. After Jesus was born, she and Joseph were, were refugees running for safety and protection of their lives in a land not their own. Mary was a woman who was well acquainted with grief and sorrow. She knew the world was broken. And I think that is why the way she sang this song had to reflect that. Now the world Mary was living in is not so different from the world we're living in. Think about what has happened in just the last couple of years. We had an unprecedented pand pandemic. Illness and death. Schools were shut down in this city so long 
that children are still grade levels behind in reading and social development. Businesses closed. Jobs were lost. Then came the most contentious election in our country's history. Remember that? That was fun. Remember that one? In the midst of all of that was massive social unrest. Tragedies like George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. Tragedies that resurfaced a tsunami of pain for black and brown people in this country. You know, that was followed by the the denouncement of all law enforcement. You know what came after that? A wave of crime and chaos in this city and in this country. And then we had a surge of anti-Asian hate. Then more school shootings. Then war in Ukraine and Russia and Gaza and Israel. And while all of this was happening, the warriors left. (laughs) And then the raiders left. And now the A's are leaving. Merry Christmas, everybody. Isn't this uplifting? You're like, I thought I was going to get a happy message. We'll get there. Hang in there. You know, for many of us, it is far more personal, though, than the darkness and the brokenness out there. It's the brokenness of our own lives. A room with this many people means one thing. There is a load of sadness in this room. I know some of your stories, but I don't know a lot of them. But here's what I know what is about what's in this room. Infertility. Miscarriages. Eating disorders. People who long to be married but aren't. People who feel stuck in a loveless marriage. Sexual abuse. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, addiction, depression, anxiety, loneliness, broken families, broken homes, financial strain, cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's. And see, it just has to make you ask the question is there any hope for a world that is so broken? The resounding answer of Christmas is yes. Christmas says yes, there is hope for our world because God understands the brokenness. God understands it. In Job 10, Job is in the midst of great suffering. And he says this to God. He says, do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? In other words, Job says to God, do you know how hard it is to be human? And you know what God says to us because of Christmas? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. This is part of, if you are exploring Christianity tonight, I want you to know this is part of the uniqueness of the claims of the Christian faith. That God became human. God became a person. God took on flesh and came into this world And therefore, and he experienced life in a broken world. And therefore, only in Christianity do you find a God who understands the brokenness. Now, that's hopeful, but honestly, it's not enough. We need more than just a God who understands the brokenness. We need a God who's going to do something about it. 
And one of the interesting things about Mary's song is that it is filled with quotations from the Old Testament. There's about 20 direct quotations in her song from the Old Testament. And I would walk you through all of them tonight, but your children would never come back to this church. They're like, can we wrap this thing up? Land this plane, preacher, stop talking. Uh, It is filled with direct quotations from the Old Testament. You say, wait a minute, the Old Testament, isn't that like the part of the Bible where God is like always really angry? Actually, it is the part of the Bible where God promises over and over and over again that he is going to send a Messiah who is going to put the world back to rights, who is going to reverse the curse of sin and death, who's going to bring final victory over evil, and who is going to restore his creation to all that is good and true and beautiful. And that is why Mary, in her song, in verses 51 through 53, begins to sing about God's work of total renewal, about God scattering the proud and bringing down rulers who have abused their power, and God lifting up the humble and filling those who are hungry with good things and fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless the whole world. In the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas, God was beginning his rescue mission for the whole world. It was God's way of saying, I made this thing, and I'm not going to abandon it. This world is mine, and it is not what it was supposed to be. But guess what? Suffering will not get the last word. Sorrow will not get the last word. Evil will not get the last word. Injustice will not get the last word. Death will not get the last word. Brokenness will not get the last word. In Christmas, God says to Mary and to all of us that he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That he is on a rescue mission to make all things new. And that means there is hope for a broken world. And Christmas doesn't stop there. It says there's hope for broken people. Uh, This song of Mary's, uh, what I love about this song, Mary was a theologian. I don't know if you know this. But there, was, there is a, a stick of theological dynamite in this song. It is filled with all of these truths about who God is and what God is like. And I want to give you just three of them very quickly and tell you how they actually offer hope for broken people. First, Mary says that God is mindful. God is mindful. That's, that's verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What an incredible thing for Mary to say. Everyone else in society has overlooked her. But Mary says God is mindful of her. He knows her by name. And guess what? He knows you by name. And that can fill your life with such hope that the God of the universe has his eye on you. That he knows the number of hairs on your head. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. You may feel unseen, but you're not unseen. You may feel forgotten, But God says, you are not forgotten by me. God sees you. God is mindful of you. But second, she says that God is holy. That's verse 49. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is holy. What does that mean? It means that God is perfect in every way. He's perfect in his righteousness. He's perfect in his justice. He's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his wisdom. There's no selfishness in God. 
There's no hypocrisy in God. There's no deceit in God. And here we have a problem. Because if God is mindful and God is holy, then what happens when a holy God turns his attention on unholy people? What happens when a perfect God turns his attention to imperfect people? You know, there's a verse in 1 Samuel 16, and it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And a lot of times people quote that like it's, it's really comforting. I don't know about you, but if you think about that verse, it's actually more unsettling than it is comforting. You know, imagine if I told you that tonight when you walked through those doors, unbeknownst to you, we attached this device to your body. And for the next week, it is going to record everything that you do, everything that you say, and everything that you think. <laughs> and, and next Sunday, when you come back, we are all going to watch the video of that recording on this screen right here. You know what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Everybody in this room would say, I'm, I'm going to be sick next week, Pastor. i got a conflict next Sunday. I'm not going to be here next Sunday morning, including me. You wouldn't find me in this place. <laughs> See, we look at the outward appearance. We look at the clothes people wear, the cars they drive, the bodies they have, the schools they go to, the resumes they've built. But God looks at the heart. And God, who is holy, sees how unholy we are. And that brings us to the last attribute, and it is the good news of this whole Christmas story. She says in verse 50 that God is merciful. What does it mean that God is merciful? It means that God is kind. God is gracious. God is full of compassion. And in Christmas, we see all three of these attributes come together. Because God is mindful, because he's seen the, the brokenness in you and me and in our world, he wanted to do something. Because God is holy, he had to do something about the brokenness. And because God is merciful, he did do something. What did he do? He took on human flesh. And he broke into this world as a person. He came to do something about the brokenness in us and the brokenness in our world. A couple years ago, I started reading a series of novels written by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was a writer, and she wrote a series of crime novels about a detective named Lord Peter Wimsey. Uh, they were set in the 1930s, and he was sort of a Sherlock Holmes type. He would go around solving all of these different uh, crimes and mysteries. And he's this great detective, but he's also a bachelor. And as the, as the books progress, it becomes, he becomes increasingly lonely. Until about halfway through the series, a new character shows up in the books. Her, her name is Harriet Vane. And in the books, Harriet Vane is one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford, and she loves to write detective fiction. And she and Peter meet, and they begin to work on a couple different cases together. They fall in love, and they get married, and Peter's loneliness 
starts to be healed. Now, here's what's so interesting about the story is that what's so interesting is that Dorothy Sayers, the author, in real life, she was one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford. And she was this great writer of detective fiction. Dorothy Sayers looked at this character that she had created, Peter Whimsey. She saw that he needed someone to come into his life and heal his loneliness and love him. And who did she put there? She put herself. She fell in love with the character that she created and she wrote herself into the story to save him. That is what God does at Christmas. God writes himself into his own story. He saw you and me and the world that he had created and how broken it all was. And he came as a real person in real history to offer real hope. Amen. Christmas means there is hope for broken people living in a broken world. It's hope for broken people because it says no one is too broken for God to love them. Some of you think you're too broken for God to love you. Friends, God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because he is good. God does not love you because of anything that you do. He loves you because of the perfect, finished work of his son in your behalf. That's the Christian account. And it is hope for a broken world because it says the brokenness will not last forever. In his first coming, Jesus began his rescue mission, but in his second coming, he will complete it. And he will make all things new. And I just want to ask you tonight, where else in the world can you find a hope like that? There is one place and one place only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know this hope? Do you know this hope? If not, let me tell you how you can experience it, how you can know it. It's my favorite line from Mary's whole song. In verse 49, she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Those two words, those two words are the key to unlocking, experiencing the hope of Christmas in your life. You know what it means to be a Christian? It means to hear the story of God coming into the world in Jesus Christ and going, he did it for me. Hallelujah. He came for me. He was born for me. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. And one day he will come again for me. And there will be no, no more brokenness forever and ever. There is no hope like that hope. And if you want that hope, you can have it tonight. That is God's offer to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we find at Christmas and in your Son. Thank you that there is no brokenness in us that is too great for you. There is no brokenness in our world that is too great for you. 
Thank you for writing yourself into our story because of your great love for us. Thank you that this hope is not rooted in wishful thinking, but it is rooted in real history and in a real person. And thank you that this hope is available to any who would receive it tonight. I pray that none of us, none of us would walk out of this room tonight not knowing this hope. Not knowing you because you are the only one who can offer it to us. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.